a better way of seeing the life that you want to live. It's the Your Life Lived Well podcast. Welcome back. Last episode, we talked about looking on the bright side of life. And I really didn't feel like the episode was as bright and sparkly as I wanted it to be. (laughs) So today, we're going back to meditation, as I'd promised a couple of episodes ago. And it's a good follow-up, because meditation is one of the ways I find my bright side in life. I look at meditation as exercise for the parts of my mind and brain that I want to strengthen for a better quality of life. And part of that are those judgments that I make about myself. We all know that when you live with chronic illness, it can be really frustrating and disheartening and things don't work well sometimes, and that gets you down. And that starts a lot of negative self-talk in your head. So meditation is one of those ways to acknowledge that, put it in its place, and get back to the better things in your life, the things that make it brighter. So we're going to be focusing on meditation again today. And I want to start with a little bit of a recap of some of the important points to get us all in the right framework here. And fundamentally, we need to think differently about our minds and the way our minds work. We like to think of our minds as only me, right? It's like I'm right there alone in my head. But that's the wrong way to think about it. We don't actually control our minds. Your you is a really small part of your mind. And there's lots of other things going on in your preconscious, subconscious, unconscious, you know, outside the realm of your direct attention. The result of these processes just pop into your mind. Uh, Sometimes I call it popcorn head, you know, when you've got lots of ideas and emotions just kind of bouncing around, and and it really is like, like popcorn. Well, those things are all happening in your mind, but you don't get to see how those thoughts and feelings are being made. You just are presented with the results from some weird little corner of your mind. So our mind is bigger than we are, and we must work with it and work within it. So if you start thinking about your mind as your internal environment that you operate in, well, in the first place, that gives you a little more reason to to cut yourself a little more slack and and just understand that just as your body operates in a physical environment, well, you're operating in this mental, this cognitive, emotional environment. And in the last meditation episode, I talked about the climate and the weather, right? And how we each have a set of dispositions 
that can change slowly over time, right? But we also then have weather, transient weather. Like, as I'm recording this, yesterday was rainy and dreary and cold, and today is bright and sunny, and it looks like we're going to have some clouds coming in later on this afternoon, but uh, from what I understand, it's still going to be jumpable weather. <laughs> so, so that's important that, well, you know, that is jumpable weather is important, but it's important to understand that we've got this weather going on in our mind. We've got positive and negative emotions. We've got different thoughts and feelings and memories and fantasies and what ifs and all sorts of things in our in mental environment. The second thing that we need to keep in mind about our minds is that idea of the Buddhist monkey mind, which I, I think is just a delightful metaphor. And although, you know, monkeys are, are kind of smelly and, and icky and they like to fling poop at one another. So, you know, which is kind of appropriate in many ways. Neurologically speaking, as a, as a, as a side note here, that monkey mind is probably associated with what's called our default mode network. And, and this is the part of our brains that are firing when we're not focused, when we're unfocused, when we're at rest, when we're daydreaming about ourselves or others or stories or recalling memories or wondering about the future. It's, it's that free-form flow of, of consciousness and that's called the default mode network. And that's a, a relatively new thing in psychology and neurology, and it's still kind of controversial. So uh, we may do an episode about that later on because uh, it's a really fascinating part of what we are. But that's our monkey mind, and it's all over the place, and we, we can't expect to control it because no one puts the monkey in a corner. The monkey... <laughs> The monkey is all about being wherever the monkey wants to be. And the third thing that we need to keep in mind about our minds is that we are a society of mind. It's not just you in there. There are lots and lots of facets of you. And each one are these many small systems making judgments, trying to motivate you in one direction or another because you're a society of mind, but you only have one body. So while there are all these possibilities that, you're, that are being considered, you can still only do that one thing at a time. So if we understand that we are a society of mind with lots and lots and lots of voices and motivations and judgments and understandings and different ways of looking at the world and all these facets... And your you, yourself, your identity, is trying to broker some kind of deal, some kind of peace amongst all those. It really helps us understand what's going on. And it helps us understand what we see when we meditate and we introspect and we consciously, mindfully go into our minds for a look around. So it turns out that there's been a lot of research on this. There's a lot of research on meditation and how it associates with uh, 
various physical conditions, various medical conditions, various cognitive and emotional conditions. You know, this research, I think the earliest study dates to about 1954 or so, and they were pretty sparse in the beginning, but you start seeing this research pick up in the 60s and the 70s as more people were interested in meditation in the West. And then, really in the last couple of decades, as positive psychology has become uh, kind of a buzzword, and as uh, neurology has really made a lot of steps with how we can image what's actually going on in the brain, we have seen a lot more studies. And early research has a fair number of limitations, but the studies have been getting better in the past couple of decades, you know, better methodology, better measurement, better sampling, better analysis, all those things. So we have a better understanding, but an incomplete understanding of what's going on with meditation. I'm going to rattle off a list here, though, and this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg on what we do have some good research about right now, about how meditation affects different aspects of the way our minds and bodies work. And I will put the links to these studies uh, in the show notes so that you can actually follow them and read the research if you are of such a mind. So there is now systematic and clinical evidence that meditation tends to sharpen attention, tends to increase resiliency to stress, increases compassion, and makes our exercise of compassion more effective, improves mental health by reducing anxiety, depression, and insomnia, it enhances mood and quality of life, may reduce the effects of ADHD, helps regulate the immune system and reduce system inflammation, has a positive effect on relationships. We become more patient, more forgiving, more compassionate, more calm. It reduces cognitive biases and improves clear decision-making, provides a modest improvement to physical health, makes pain more tolerable, reduces blood pressure, calms symptoms to irritable bowel syndrome and ulcerative colitis, reduces menopausal symptoms, may help reduce cravings and prevent relapses for substances like nicotine, reinforces habit change. Now, that's like a mind-boggling list of things. So what I'm going to say here after all that is it is fair to say that the research is suggestive, not conclusive. Okay? This is also no secret. It's no magic bullet. Meditation can help, but it can't be the only thing that we're doing. This is about many small changes that will deliver a noticeable improvement over time. So the effect size we see for meditation on, say, anxiety and depression, for example, is similar to exercise 
or to medication for those conditions. What that means is it's not a cure-all. But if you do it, for most people, it will provide a marginal improvement in lots of these many things. And then it's going to depend on on which kinds of meditation you're doing and so forth, and we'll get into that in the next segment. And these benefits compound over time. You probably won't see anything to begin with, but as you stick with it and are consistent and build those habits, then you likely will. And the last thing I want to say here is in this segment is one little caveat. Like everything else we talk about as a strategy that you might employ in your own life, it might not benefit everyone all the time. There is a 2017 study that showed that some people actually have very negative experiences associated with meditation. And they probably need more education and better guidance in it and so forth. But this is a real thing, and we're only just now in the last couple of years beginning to do research on the potential downsides. So, there's a lot of potential positives and a very small chance of negatives. And, of course, I'm a big fan because it works for me, but I'm not going to generalize from me to you. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about some of these basic types of meditation that you can try. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life. We didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness, but there's a better way. So I choose to just jump, and you can too. It's your life. Live it well. Justjump.life Back, and we're talking about specific kinds of meditation that you can try. And one thing that I want to emphasize with all of them is that, as with everything else, we've got to learn, and we've got to practice, and we've got to build habits, and we've got to become consistent. So, for example, I meditate 20 to 30 minutes every day. Every day. Every day. That's a sizable commitment that you have to work into. There, there's an old Buddhist aphorism that, that I love about this, and it says, meditate 20 to 30 minutes every day unless you don't have enough time for it. Then meditate for an hour. And the more you think about it, it's kind of like one hand clapping, right? It's... it's That's an old Buddhist koan. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Hmm. And the point is that sometimes in paradox we find truth. So if you don't think you have time to meditate, I will just put out there that you waste way more than 20 or 30 minutes every day. And you can make time for this. So... Just try it. And just 
you know, start with those mindful minutes that we talked about in the last episode, and then I'll give you a few basic types of meditation here that you can try for yourself. So the first is one that we mentioned before, breath counting. And there are two or three different ways that you can do this. First way is you just, you, so you're going to relax. You're going to take a deep breath. You're going to kind of lose your focus on the world and, and introspect just a little bit. You're going to be in a relaxed position, but your back is going to be straight so that you can take a deep full, unencumbered breath, right? And you just breathe in and then count one as you exhale. And then breathe in again and count two as you exhale. And you don't have to say it, just do it in your mind. And and you, you count in groups. So, because you don't want to uh, get distracted is like, oh, was I on 127 or 128, right? Uh, so it's not about getting distracted. So you use like count to four and then start again and, or count to five and then start again, right? So something very simple. I like fours because I grew up a musician and four just seems to be a, a, a much more logical grouping to me than five because you very rarely have something like five, four time. Unless you're Dave Brubeck. Okay. If you don't know Dave Brubeck, look him up. Great jazz musician. So that's one way you can do the breath counting. Another way you can do breath counting is by counting beats within each breath. So one popular technique is the four, seven, eight count. So as you breathe in, you count to four. One, two, three, four. And then you hold it for a seven count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then you exhale slowly to an eight count. Right? Now, the timing of that doesn't work very well with the way I like to count. So I tend to count to ten, and I divide it up. So I inhale for one and two. And then I hold it for three, four, five, and then I exhale for six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And so, uh, you know, what I'm getting at here is if the four, seven, eight count is not comfortable for your breathing pattern, then pick a different count, right? But the, the point is to help induce regularity and rhythm and meter and focus on your breath. And however you do it, that's fine, because this is your meditation. And, and whatever helps you kind of get in the groove and, and focus on that breath, uh, that's what you should do. So we don't want to just spend... 20 minutes of our life every day counting breaths in and out. There are lots of different things we can do while we meditate. One, that's, that's again a very popular old meditation, is a sunlight meditation. So you 
sit comfortably or lay back and you close your eyes and first you imagine the warmth of the sunlight on your face and just really feel the experience and and feel how it it makes you feel alive and connected and comfortable and then let the sunlight start spreading across the surface of your body so it's going to expand from your face and down to your neck and your chest and your arms and your abdomen and groin and legs to all of the surface of your body. And just go very slowly and just let it expand just a little bit, you know, with each breath. And then let the sunlight slip inward to your core. So now you're not just feeling warm on the surface of your body, but deep down inside until all of your body feels like it's being warmed by that gentle, natural light of the sun. And for a lot of people, especially if you if you really dig the outdoors and and you deal with like maybe a seasonal affective disorder or something like that, then uh, this one is one that that improves a lot of people's feeling of well-being and happiness in the world. A third thing we can do is resting awareness, okay? And so resting awareness is where you become an observer of all those things those ideas, those feelings, those thoughts, those what-ifs, those memories, those possibilities for the future that are, that are being thrown about your mind by your little monkeys, right? Now, I think it's better to make this a more concrete experience, so I use a metaphor. I use a visual metaphor when I do this, and they're... they're Two most common ways of doing this. One is a river visualization, and the second one is a visualization of clouds passing through the sky. So let's think about this. For a river, if you're trying to do this, then you can do it one of two ways. One, you can imagine yourself laying on the, on the bed of a river with the river passing around you. And some people like this and some people don't. Uh, but you can feel it. And then the thoughts and the feelings are being carried by the current by you. And, and what this does is because you've got a visual representation of things moving by you, once that, that idea or that feeling, whether it's positive or negative, whatever it is, you accept whatever is coming at you. You let it flow by, and as it goes out of your sight, as it flows by, that's when you let it go. And then you pick up the next thought. And it may be uh, another version of that same thought that's coming through, and that's okay. If that's what your mind is giving you, then that's all right. You're not here to fight with your mind. You're here to understand it and accept it and learn to live with it and work with it, right? And eventually something new will come along. You know, you can also uh, imagine this 
laying on the bank of the river, watching it come by, and your ideas are floating by on the surface. You can imagine laying in a, a, a warm field on a summer day with scattered clouds passing along the sky, and on the clouds are these different ideas or feelings or thoughts, right? But, but the point is, you've got a natural environment with movement to it, and that movement is is timing how long you get to think about something or feel something before you let it go. And you're, you're learning to accept something and acknowledge something and let it go and, and work with that. And these are all variations of what we call resting awareness. Another one that we can do is what we'll call a reflection meditation. Okay, this is where we've got things that we're focusing on as we're meditating. So in this case, we're picking a question that we want to pose to ourselves. And we're not looking for absolute answers. We're just looking for the free association things that pop up in relation to it. And they may not make sense, and that doesn't matter, because most of your mind doesn't make sense. Most of your mind is primal. It, it doesn't have this kind of later, more recent developed frontotemporal way of looking at things. It's, it's primal, it's early, it's childish. All those things are still in our minds. There are a couple of caveats to doing this kind of reflection. And the first is, usually stay away from why questions. Why questions? Why did I do that? It's an invitation to the wrong sort of mindset. We, we, we tend to go negative too easily with that. What questions tend to be much more concrete and tend to be something that we can analyze in a more detached sort of way and don't necessarily be so negative. So we don't want to give ourselves an opportunity to foster anxiety and some kind of negative obsession. So it may be something like, you know, I'll give you a few examples of questions here. Like, like what am I taking for granted in my life? And an idea or something will pop into your head and you look at it and you say, am I valuing it as much as I should? Right? And you're just asking that question. Or you could ask, what makes me happy? What makes me satisfied? What makes me feel meaningful? What do I want to fill my time with? What do I want to do for those I love? What do I do to care for myself? You're going to have a lot of suggestions that pop in, and some of these you'll think, oh, they do fit in this category, or they don't. Or... Yeah, I do this and I say I'm doing it to care for myself, but I'm really not getting a lot of value out of it, right? So it's a, it's a way to cultivate detachment, and it's a way to accept your mind as it presents itself. So I'm going to let you reflect on these, and we're going to take a break, and we'll talk about a couple of other meditations and some tools that we can use on our journey. I'm Dr. Kevin Payne. 
Just jump with me into your life lived well. Half of us now live with chronic illness. Mine is multiple sclerosis. It's your life. Live it well. A chronic diagnosis doesn't mean goodbye to the good life you wanted. You don't have to feel overwhelmed or hopeless. I'll show you how to save yourself. Take your first step at justjump.life. And we're back. And we're talking about some kinds of meditation that you can try. So we began with a few with breath counting, with the sunlight meditation, with resting awareness meditations that, that have certain natural visualizations that help us monitor and mediate what's going on in our head. We talked about reflection meditations, and there's, there's an infinite variety of those because you can't really stop coming up with questions that you want to ask yourself, and there are lots of lists for those. Another really important kind of meditation uh, that we can try is what's called a loving-kindness meditation. And loving-kindness and skillful compassion are about directing love, positive thoughts, and positive wishes toward yourself, toward cherished others, toward others that you are in conflict with, or to humanity as a whole. Now, as we go down that list, each one of those becomes a little more challenging. So, we may think that directing loving-kindness toward ourselves might be the one that we have to work on, especially if we've got poor self-images or uh, we're, we're really down on ourselves because of what we perceive as our inabilities to effectively handle our conditions. But interestingly enough, the research shows that when we direct loving-kindness to others, we actually benefit more ourselves. So you might have a loving-kindness meditation where you work on picturing another person. Let's say someone you love, say a child or a parent or a significant other. And you focus positive thoughts and feelings and energy toward them. You imagine that person showered in all the love and all the positivity that you can muster in the universe. And then take it a step further. Imagine someone who really gets on your nerves. Imagine someone who you really don't like and shower them with love and positivity. This is where you're really building your muscle, right? 
And the really cool thing about this, and, and, and I kid you not, what the research shows is that if you focus loving kindness unselfishly on others, you will feel much better toward yourself. And you will walk out into the world with a much better attitude and be calmer and more patient and more graceful. And all of those things make your life much easier and much more pleasurable. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, this sounds like uh, it's, it's over the border into that hippy-dippy stuff. And maybe, but it's really beneficial. Your negative feelings don't hurt anybody but you. You know how awful it is to live in a mind that is cluttered with negative feelings. It's stressful. So, stop harming yourself. And a loving-kindness meditation is a wonderful way to build those skills and those experiences so that when you're in a position in the real world and you're faced with something negative from one of these people that you just want to smack silly, you have a much better, more healthy, kinder response. And I'm not joking, if you're kinder to the people who are not kind to you, it can cause a, a wonderful transformation in a relationship. The next kind of meditation I want us to, to think about is that body scan meditation that I've mentioned before. And, and again, it's one of my favorites because if you live with a medical condition like I do, like mine is multiple sclerosis, and it varies day by day. So I may have one set of symptoms one day and, and they, they'll be different the next day. You know, one day my legs are not working real well. Another day um, I've got a lot of cog fog that I'm dealing with and or I'm numb or I've got more pain in this place and, and not someplace else. Or like one of my f favorite is I itch. I itch all the time, all over my body. It's not a real itch. It's, it's in my central nervous system. But I always itch. And you know how distracting and infuriating itching is, right? Especially itching that you can't do anything about. So I always live with that. It's been decades. I would love to not itch. And I actually lived with it for years before I was ever diagnosed. And I didn't even think it was, I just thought it was, I thought everybody itched. Turns out I was wrong. So with the body scan meditation, some people start with the, with the head and work down. I like to start with the toes 
and work up. So I work through the toes all the way up to my waist, and then I go from my hands all the way up to my shoulders, and then I go uh, through my, my head and my brain and back down into my chest cavity and do lungs and then abdomen and then end in my heart and then let the feeling of the heartbeat and the breath fill my entire body. So I like that pattern because it ends on a real strong note and you're very centered and, and you know, I, I would suggest trying it like that. So again, with each breath, you're taking a deep measured breath and you're focusing on that part of your body and you're just going through and you're trying to understand, oh, okay, here's what I have to work with this particular day. And that makes it, you know, that way I know I walk out into the world armored with, I want to avoid this kind of activity because I know that my body is not up to it or I'm probably going to be able to do this sort of thing today and that's good. And, and with the uncertainty of a chronic health condition, just having that level of understanding gives you so much more confidence to bring out into the world with you. So I find it really valuable. There's also a variation on this that we can use to prepare ourselves for sleep. Many of us have trouble sleeping. You know, if you're, uh, many of us, we're uncomfortable, we're in pain. You know, again, pain is, I always have pain. I'm, I'm always somewhere, if you look at it, we'll talk about pain here in an in a episode that's coming up pretty quick. Uh, on a standard pain scale, if you go from like 0 to 10 or so, the way it's usually scaled, every day I'm somewhere between a 3 and a 7. That's typically what I just, that's table stakes for me getting out in the world that day. So we have a lot to overcome to try to get sleep sometimes. And then there's also the, the ruminations and the negativity and, and insomnia of other kinds. And, and we've got a sleep episode coming up, too. And we'll talk about different kinds of insomnia because there are different reasons and there are different solutions for each one. So the way we do this preparation for sleep meditation is let's start with the toes. And you can do it in one or two places. Some people like to sit perched on the edge of their bed ready to slide into it when they're done. And other people like to go ahead and lay in bed on their backs and in a comfortable position to do it. Either one uh, works. But you're going to start that body scan. You're going to start with your toes. But instead of just perceiving what's going on there, start with your feet and then tense that body part up. So tense your feet as you're inhaling. And then start relaxing it as you're holding that breath. And then as you're exhaling, make that part feel heavy, like it's sinking into the bed or the floor. And then go up to your calves. And breathe 
and focus there and tense it and then relax it and as you're exhaling that breath let it feel heavy and then you move on to the next one so by the time you get done you've tensed and relaxed and made every part of your body feel heavy and end with your head right and you should feel sleepy. It actually works. Actually, the U.S. military for years has advised a variation on this. Uh, it's, it's very functional. It's very effective. It's, it's one of uh, those techniques that should be in your arsenal for getting to a good night's sleep. Note that all of these, and I've just scratched the surface with, with some of the meditations that, that you can do. All of these are developing a skill that's sometimes called noting. That is, gently recognizing that our mind has wandered. You know, not every distraction, only the ones we've become lost in. Pausing, identifying the source of distraction so we can return to our focus object, Right? We recognize, and this is really crucial, we recognize that we are not our thoughts. We are not our feelings. We acknowledge our thoughts and judgments and feelings and then let them go. They're like the weather. And then, of course, there are guided meditations for almost everything. And... After the break, we will talk about those tools that you can use. We all have challenges. Mine is multiple sclerosis. We each have this one life. And we didn't choose to be saddled with chronic illness. But there's a better way. So I choose to just jump. And you can too. It's your life. Live it well. Just jump. Dot life. And in our last segment here, we're going to talk about a few tools that you can use to help guide you on your journey with meditation and a couple of takeaways that are going to be important. So we're social animals, and we don't like to feel alone in our pursuits. And even though meditation is a solo activity, and, and it's an inward-focused activity, we actually can do it together, and there are lots of things we can do to make it more social. So the first thing I want to mention here are meditation apps. Most of us have smartphones. And there are lots and lots of apps out there. There are a gazillion meditation apps. I've got over a dozen of them on my phone. Well, which is nothing compared to, like, my weather. I've got almost 40 weather apps on my phone. Yeah, I know. That's, that's kind of obsessive. Uh, but I do have about a dozen apps. And, and uh, you know, of those, there are probably three big dogs in, in the space, Insight Timer, Headspace, and Calm. 
And all of those apps I've used and, and I enjoy, now the one I use the most is Insight Timer. And I've used that for almost a decade. It's, it's been a great app. Um, they tend to offer varying mixtures of similar features. Okay, so there'll be a timer with bells and ambient sounds that you can add. So I like using uh, a timer because I don't use many guided meditations because I've been doing this for a long time and I know what I need to get out of it and so I, I guide myself and that's okay. Um, but I will occasionally uh, throw in a guided meditation just to shake things up. The timer with the bells, so you know there, there are, are traditional... Zen Buddhist bells that are, that are used, and and so I can I can set them to go off at specific times in my meditation as as signals if I want. You can add various kinds of ambient soundscapes or music to your meditation. So you might want to add wind or rain or you know some kind of ethereal, hippy-dippy, new-age kind of woo-woo music, right? You know, that's those are all options. Um, these apps have catalogs of guided meditations and meditation courses on a variety of topics. So they've got things just for beginners if you're learning to meditate. They've got uh, things for, say, mindfulness and focus and anxiety and stress and sleep and self-esteem and compassion and eating and sleep and getting up in the morning. And you understand what I'm getting at here. There's lots and lots and lots of specific targeted guided meditations and classes that you can avail yourself of, and a lot of them are free. Uh, music libraries, uh, many of them have yoga and exercise sessions that are, you know, part of meditation. You don't have to just be still to meditate. You can move and meditate as well and have a mindful, focused experience. Uh, these apps sponsor virtual group meditation events, right? And, and communities of meditators to connect with. So, like on Insight Timer, I, I like because at the end of a meditation, you know, I can click on a button and I can see who was meditating with me at that time. And I can see, and, and it's divided. I can see people, you know, in the local geographic area who were meditating with me. And they always have like 100, 200,000 people meditating around the world at one time on this app. So, I mean, there's always people. Uh, and, you know, or, the, or people that I'm friends with, you know, on the meditation. And you, and you can pause and you can send them a message afterwards and say, thanks for meditating with me. And I really find that, you know, I take a few minutes afterward and do that and just um, experience gratitude for sharing that experience virtually with other people. And yeah, I know I'm sounding like I'm on my woo-woo, hippy-dippy edge here. But, but really, it's a matter of practicing that loving kindness. And uh, that, so that's really nice. So there are lots of benefits to those apps. I'd suggest, you know, try some, you know, try Insight Timer, try Headspace, try Calm, try any a bunch of the others and, and find the one that, that 
works for you. I don't always use an app when I do it, but but I I try to a lot of times uh, just because I'm keeping track of stuff because it'll it'll give you your statistics and you'll be able to get the feedback of okay you you meditated these days for this amount of time and yada yada yada. So that's one option. Another option is, you know, again, we're social animals and we like to be together. And now that the world is starting to open back up again, uh, this is an opportunity for you to get together with some people you probably have never met before and, and expand your social circle. And most metropolitan areas have at least a few local face-to-face meditation groups. Some are completely secular. Some are associated with a religious or spiritual tradition. Pick one that has the approach that is amenable to you, that you think will help you meet and connect with other people that you want to connect with, right? So try some out and and pick one that fits you best. And, of course, many of us with chronic health conditions uh, have more difficulty getting out into the world. I mean, some days I just don't want to get out into the world. It's just all too much. And if it's difficult for you to get out, then try some of the online and virtual meditation communities. And you can, you know, it's like a Zoom meeting with everybody meditating. And, and, And there are literally hundreds of thousands of these out there. So, you know, take these opportunities because a lot of times we want to do something with other people, right? And, And there is a benefit to that, and it helps you build new habits, and it helps you keep with those habits, and those are all good things. So our world is cluttered, anxious, frustrating, and depressing. We're overwhelmed and burnt out. Our chronic illness taxes our bodies, thoughts, emotions, and relationships and leaves us on the edge much of the time. Given all that, we deserve to spend some quality time with ourselves. And as I've said before, you know, we don't necessarily treat ourselves the way we'd like others to treat us. So we kind of need to practice this. And meditation is a really great way to spend some quality time with yourself. It's an opportunity to build and to repair this most fundamental relationship each of us has. And that most of us have ignored. And that's really important because we're often dealing with disappointment and we feel like our bodies have betrayed us and we can feel frustrated and angry and sad. And we have a lot of negative emotions that can pile up. And this is an opportunity to see those and accept those and let them go and to find positive emotions and positive experiences with ourselves just like 
we have to work our bodies to build strength and stamina and resilience. It's really crucial that we focus on our minds and our brains and we both give it a workout and a little loving kindness as well. So I hope after these last couple of episodes, you have found yourself curious enough to really give meditation a shot. I think it's in that fundamental arsenal of tools that we all need to improve our quality of lives with chronic illness. I mean, I put it right there with nutrition and movement and sleep. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just really fundamental. So give your mind and your body a little workout and a little compassion and check out the links that I'm providing and use this experience to improve your quality of life. Give it some time. It will take time. But I, I can just about promise you, you'll find it worth it. So with that, go forth. Be well, do well, and do good. Now I'm going to go get in the sky. If you've enjoyed today's topic and want to join the conversation with Dr. Kevin Payne, find Your Life Lived Well on all of your favorite social media sites, Patreon, and of course, yourlifelivedwell.co. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.